Welcome to We the Women. This is our celebration of the 19th Amendment. Exactly 100 years ago, on August 18, 1920, the 19th Amendment was ratified, giving women the right to vote. To celebrate, we'll be talking to women from around South Carolina, thought leaders, movers and shakers. We'll ask them about how they have used their voice and what they have done to contribute to our great democracy. Enjoy the conversation. In this episode, Post and Courier political reporter Caitlin Byrd interviews Pamela Avett, Lieutenant Governor of South Carolina. Thank you so much for being here today. We're, it's such a pleasure to have you. I just want to get to know you better because this is really meant to be a conversation and I cover politics and obviously you're in the world of politics. How does it feel to wake up every day being the first Republican lieutenant governor of South Carolina? Well, it's sometimes you get in awe, right? You have to pinch yourself that it really happened. But I love my position. I love that I can give perspective. I can bring my business knowledge to this position uh, and use it to help grow South Carolina. You know, we are a business state and we always say that. So it's good coming out of the business world and being able to do that. How do you describe your role to people who may just wonder what that LT in front of your title (laughs) means, because it seems like everybody around here knows Governor McMaster, but Lieutenant Governor Pam Evett, which I have to make sure we say correctly, (laughs) um, you know, what does this role entail for you in the day-to-day? And also just tell me a little bit more about how you balance the day-to-day with the big picture. So, you know, it's funny that you ask, because I have the pleasure of speaking all over the state, and that's a lot of times I'll ask, I'll say, so of you know what the lieutenant governor does and you know a couple people will raise their hand and you know that is really a valid question now because it is so different um you know prior to me taking this role lieutenant governors presided over the senate and so they spent a big chunk of time in columbia and so a lot of people really didn't know who the lieutenant governor was or what they did because they presided over the senate Um, But with the constitutional change to the governor and lieutenant governor running together, um, the job completely changed. So um, I have the, I guess, the pleasure of kind of crafting out this new position. Uh, You know, the governor is a wonderful uh, man to work with. And so our ideals are very similar. And so we really talk about where we want to see the state. So Uh, spreading the message of the governor's agenda and what he wants done, what he feels passionate about. And the governor was... was very open with that when he asked me to be his running mate, uh, something else new in South Carolina, actually running as a team. Mm-hmm. Um, he told me he wanted me involved in wherever I felt would have the biggest impact on the state. So things that I felt passionate about, definitely uh, business, since that is the world I came from. Mm-hmm. And so I travel around the state. I talk to businesses. I tour businesses. Uh, and I act as an ambassador um, for the governor's office. And I'll say, you know, what can we do for you? What do you need? Uh, Are there regulations that make it hard for you to do business here in our state? Um, Tell me about those things so that we can look at getting rid of them. And so it's the first time the state has really had somebody that could do that, can sit down and and talk. I love going to schools, being a mom of three. I love going to schools and seeing children and talking to teachers and principals and finding out what they need. Um, I talk at um, business luncheons all the time. Uh, And so it's it's great being out there and getting things done uh, and bringing those ideas and and ideas back to the governor, sitting down and figuring out how how do we make things better? 
who do you turn to when you're, it sounds like you basically had a role that you've had to create yourself, Mm -hmm. um, which is exciting. It is a blessing. And it is also a curse because (laughs) sometimes there might be an element of trial and error there, but who do you lean on when you feel like I need some extra guidance or I need a gut check that isn't the governor? Oh, so, you know, I have a great group of people around me too. Um, and so asking them, um, my husband, your family, you know, things, uh, sometimes they give you the best ideas. Ideas come from places that you um, might not be looking to find them. So I'm very close to my family uh, and I have a very tight circle of friends that, you know, I can run things past. So I'm very blessed with that. How often do you get back to Traveler's Rest? Because that's where you grew up, right? Did I get that right? You know, that's where I live now. That's where you live now. Yes. Okay. And so uh, I home base out of Traveler's Rest, okay. uh, but I travel the state. Uh, so, you know, when people say, oh, you're not in Columbia. Well, there are days I'm in Columbia. There's days I'm in the upstate. There are days I'm down here in Charleston. So my day is different every day, depending on what is going on. And so that sounds exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> it's really um, people kind of keep me going because I, I heard a lot of that the first year. Like, how do you keep up the pace you keep up? And I said, you know, it's really the people of South Carolina. When I hear, oh, I've never met a lieutenant governor. Wow, the lieutenant governor's never come to our school. Or this is great that you cared so much that you came uh, to our business. Uh, That keeps me going because that's exactly what I want people to feel, that they have a governor and lieutenant governor that really care about what's happening in their world and what's happening in their day-to-day lives and really want to make a big impact. Right. And especially these days, it feels like there's so much disconnect that people can feel with their politics and with their government. Um, obviously, not just due to social distancing, but just this tenor in the air right now of, of division, which is very challenging for all of us to work and live with. Even me on the political desk, it's very difficult. But uh, tell me a little bit about your upbringing and how you use your background and your personal experiences to connect with South Carolinians. So, um so I have, uh, I grew up in, in Ohio. Uh, that's oh, where dangerous I was, state around I know, born and raised in Ohio. But you know, like I say, you can't pick where you're born, but I got here as quick as I could. So um, my family, my grandparents were all um, immigrants. They came over from Poland around 1910, all of them. And um, so my parents were first generation Americans. I think that's what gave me a lot of foundation for wanting to do what I do is because we were told every day, my grandmother lived with us. So we were three generations in my home and she talked about just how wonderful it was to be able to be a U.S. citizen, Um, that we should never take lightly what being born an American meant, you know, that we could worship any way we wanted and we could be anything we wanted if we were willing to work hard enough for it. And so I think seeing that over and over and hearing how much pride they had in being Americans and the fact that she would always say to us, if you are ever called on um, to serve, then you need to. And so that was something I was really passionate about for a long time is trying to figure out um, what was going to be the next steps for me and, and how do I take what I've learned in business and what I care about. Because uh, first and foremost, I'm a mom. You know, I have three children. Uh, I'm from 24 all the way down to 13. And so, you know, it's, it's how do you make an impact in education? And how do you make an impact in business? And how do you incorporate the family and in all of that? So those are things that I'm really passionate about. And so 
this just fit the mold. It's that here is where you can really make an impact and help a lot of people. The Intertech Group and the Zucker family are proud to celebrate the 100th anniversary of the 19th Amendment. Did you have conversations with your grandparents about the importance of voting? Absolutely. Um, So that was something that from the time we were old enough to vote, we were registered. I I don't, I mean, I have three older brothers. (laughs) I do remember the first time I voted and it was almost kind of scary because you're not really sure what you're going to do and you don't get a trial one, right? So you just kind of hear about it and you're thinking, well, what if I make a mistake? And um, But there is a certain amount of pride. And I can remember my father telling all of us that you can't complain if you don't vote and that everybody has a voice. It's the one thing that equalizes everybody. We all have one vote. Um, And so it's something that I always felt very passionately on. Uh, If I wasn't going to be in my district uh, for some reason, we would absentee vote. And I'm proud to say my children have voted too, and they take that very seriously. Well, and obviously we're thinking a lot about voting right now with this 19th Amendment project. It kind of blows my mind. I'm going to be 30 this year, and it's strange to me that 70 years plus, you know, it took all this time for women to gain that equal right to the ballot box. Exactly. Um, Did you always think about politics in the back of your mind? I know you talked about your grandparents encouraging service, but some people don't always see politics and service being in parallel to one another. (laughs) So I'm just curious whether or not politics was always a sphere that you thought you might want to tap into. Well, you know, I don't think when I was young, I thought that I just I guess I didn't know what would be the best way. Um, But then as I got older, uh, and you know, grew a business and and saw really how much uh, government big government could put such a burden on people and their dreams. Um, and why I thought that's when I think I started going down that road. Uh, I'm an accountant by trade. And so, uh, you know, we started, my husband and I started a company and we dealt with like uh, a lot of government regulations. We helped our clients like guide through those kind of things. Mm-hmm. And you could see how just how um, it almost discouraged people to follow their dreams because it just seemed like there were so many things they had to know. And so I kept thinking, wow, if somebody could get in there that could really understand uh, how hard it is to do business if government gets too big Mm -hmm. and how to look at regulations and say, is this really helping or not? Is it just a hindrance? Mm -hmm. Um, That would really make a difference. That would help people achieve what my grandparents always said we could all have was the American dream. Mm -hmm. Now, tell me a little bit. I remember my first introduction to you was admittedly reading about you. I'm on the politics desk. We were following the 2018 gubernatorial race. <laughs> and all of a sudden, you know, you were announced as the running mate. Um, and I remember very quickly there were comparisons drawn to yourself and Nikki Haley. <laughs> I, as a as a female political reporter on a mostly male-dominated desk, we do have some, but on a mostly male-dominated desk, I kind of cocked my head and I was like, I know Nikki Haley's a powerhouse. We can all agree on that. But why can't Pam just stand in her own right? Did you were you surprised when the comparisons were drawn to you and Nikki Haley? How did you how did you feel seeing that analysis of yourself or those comparisons in the paper? Well, I never thought it was a bad thing, right? I had a lot of respect for Governor, now Ambassador Haley, and all she accomplished. And um, I think I think somebody has always come before 
everyone, right? So we have all kinds of women to thank uh, that kind of went before us to do all kinds of things, like you talked about with the 19th Amendment. So I never looked at it that way. Um, and a lot of times as people say our looks, I, I probably once a day I get, does somebody ever tell you you look like Nikki Haley? <laughs> uh, and Nikki Haley and I laugh about that <laughs> when we're together. So it's not a bad thing. And no, it never, it never really bothered me. That's good. It's, it's, you know, cause you never want to assume anyone's experience, but yeah. that was something that I'd kind of always wanted to ask because yes, there are women who come before who, who break that glass ceiling for us and we're thankful for the trailblazing, but there are other times where some women might say, but Hey, like, this is me. I'm, I'm distinctly different. What, yeah. what difference do you see between yourself and, and then Governor Haley and former Ambassador Haley? <sighs> well, I don't know, because like you said, we do have a lot of similarities. Both accountants, right? Both came out of the business world. Yeah. I, I, never, um, I never served in the legislature. Mm-hmm. So I think that gives me a really fresh perspective. There's no uh, piece of legislation. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's nothing there that I am so tied to I couldn't be objective and look at it. And so I think that gave me something that not a lot of people before me have. Um, very, um, I, I can't say enough about the governor giving me this opportunity, but that's what he was looking for. Mm-hmm. You know, the governor wanted somebody that would have a fresh set of eyes mm-hmm. that could come in and see things and see the way they're being done mm-hmm. and say, wait, there's a better way. Because I've never seen it this way before. So I think that's something that uh, is distinctly different uh, with me and Ambassador Haley. Let's switch gears from politics for a second. Talk to me about starting your business and what that experience was like, because <laughs> that's also a typically male-dominated industry. It's getting mm-hmm. a lot better. But what was that process like? Tell me about why you wanted to set out on your own. So um, I always dreamed of having my own business uh, from the time I got out of school, but knew I needed to pay my dues and figure out how business worked uh, before I could take break apart and do that myself. And so uh, we started a business just basically um, faith and, and an idea, and it grew, grew into a national company. So I'm so very blessed. I tell people all the time, uh, God dreamed a bigger dream for me than I could dream for myself because I kind of just kept my head down and worked really hard. And one day looked up and we were operating in 49 states. So really, uh, when people ask me all the time, like, how did you get where you were? I said, well, I just worked really hard. And I think that's kind of the key. I think most people who are really successful will tell you, you kind of forget about all the struggles because you're working so hard every day just to get past them that when you look back, it's kind of a blur and you just kind of feel blessed to where you're ending up. At Great Clips, we want you to feel good about getting a great haircut. That's why we created the Great Care Promise, our commitment to keeping everyone as safe as possible in the salon. From contactless online check-in and social distancing to rigorous sanitization and mask requirements at all Great Clips locations, we're doing more to keep our salons clean and comfortable. Check in online and get a ready next text when you're next. Great Clips, it's going to be great. All salons are independently owned and operated. Contact your local salon for specific safety measures. When you do look back, do you remember one particular struggle that you were very proud to overcome or something that maybe seemed like it might be this huge roadblock, but you were able to leap over it easier than you thought you could? So um, I always talk about the we um, we had just started growing, started growing, and we had one of our largest clients was bought out. And so, of course, we had just added more staff and and, you know, you, you that's when you sit at your desk as a business owner and go, oh, my goodness. I'm now 
got to figure this out because I don't want to negatively impact people's lives. And so they had gotten bought out by a large national company. And um, we started, uh, we had a 90-day contract with them. And I said, you know, we're just going to show them how good we can do it. And we got to the end of that 90 days and reached out to them and said, hey, just let us keep this piece of business that you have and we'll, you'll want us to do everything for you in a year. Just give us a year to prove it to you. Well, they called us down and we got that contract. And then it was 25,000 employee lives across the country. Uh, and we just, we just said, well, I don't know how we're going to do this, <laughs> but we're going to do it. And we did. And that came to be a client that grew to 60,000 lives over 10 years. Uh, proud that our company is still representing them and growing strong with them. Um, but it's not being afraid. Mm-hmm. Uh, the one thing I try to say when I'm speaking in, in a business environment is, and especially to women, don't be afraid. Um, sometimes our biggest successes will come out of our worst failures. And that's something my dad really taught us all. Um, regret is a useless emotion. So leap and try to do what you can and, and never never look back and never be ashamed. That's really great advice because I think that there's so much that that is fear-based. And sometimes that's a good thing. Yeah, <laughs> There's sometimes. sometimes where maybe you shouldn't, you know, the the, whole, the old adage of, you know, if your friends jump off a burning bridge, whatever, <laughs> are you going to do it? Um, yeah. Maybe not, uh, but maybe it depends on how high the bridge is. There has to be a reasonable <laughs> amount of certainty that you could, uh, yes. you could do it, right? <laughs> yes, there's got to be some other factors. But but that's that's so important. Do you feel like when you're, did you ever have any nervous moments when you, you know, first, you know, were elected as lieutenant governor and you were thinking, okay, how are we going to do, do this? Well, do you remember having any, any moments of doubt when you first ascended to this role? Well, no, not really once, once we won the election, yes. right? But uh, this was my first election. Exactly. Uh, and it was statewide, and we had a runoff. We had a primary and a runoff, and then the general election. So it was a lot of campaigning. Um, did you enjoy that, being on the road and doing the campaigning? Well, you know, I really did. I know that sounds kind of crazy, but I'm, <laughs> I really am a people person. Mm-hmm. So I really thrive off of other people. And, um, and so it, it really made it um, kind of enjoyable, getting out and meeting a lot of people and hearing what they had to say and... Um, their dreams and hopes for their kids in this state is something that stays with me all the time. So it was hard. It was hard on my family, you know, because you do have to spend a lot of time in doing that. And that's why I tell people, you know, the first thing I did was I went to them and said, so we all have to be in this together if we're going to do this. And they were all very supportive. My oldest is my daughter, and she was like, go get them, Mom. And uh, the boys, you know, said, well, yeah, we'll do whatever you need. But my husband was wonderful. He um, took a lot of time away from our business and, and came on the road with me. And so it was it was a great experience, but it's definitely something I couldn't have done without all of them standing behind me. Mm-hmm. Do you have any sort of, can you just walk me through like your your daily routine. I know you said it changes all the time. Are, are you one of those 4 a.m. wake up call people or are you someone who, who gets out of bed at a more reasonable hour between six and seven? Oh, well, for me, it's like every day is different, but I do wake up early. I like to work out in the mornings. Uh, that's the best time. And so it kind of clears your mind and gets you ready for the day. How early is early? So sometimes uh, if I have to be on the road early, I will get up at five, uh, sometimes six. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like to get in at least a 30, 40, five minute workout before I get my day going, but it does, it gives me a lot of clarity. 
And then uh, we're off, we're in the car, and we are off to where my morning is going to take me, whether it may be here in Charleston or up in Rock Hill. Or sometimes I luck out and I'm in Greenville, so I don't there have to get up, you know, and <laughs> yes. get moving quite as early. Yes. <laughs> um, but every day is different. But the one thing is the same is that people, um, people are always so kind, you know, which I know we don't hear enough about these days is that. Um, I'm always asked, like, was it, is it horrible? Or people? No. Everybody I have met has been so kind and so respectful. Uh, and so I've, I've had a great experience. And maybe South Carolina is different. And I tell that to my lieutenant governor counterparts across the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, as I'm so proud of this state and the way the people are and the way uh, we have so much pride in what we do as South Carolinians. So maybe that makes a, it uniquely special to be the lieutenant governor here in South Carolina. Did you have any heroes growing up? Um, I had people I admired. You know, my dad was probably my biggest hero because I just saw him working so hard. Um, he was a tool and die maker. And he, um, I can remember him working two jobs almost uh, my entire life. Uh, you know, my parents worked very hard to put us all through college. And um, it was something he was really proud to do. So I just saw how hard he worked and how it was really important for him. I mean, you know, when, you're, when your grandparents come as immigrants, you know, it, it's what they want for their grandchildren. My dad used to say that, you know, your grandfather came here with a pick and a shovel. And he wanted me to work easier than him. And he wanted his grandchildren to work yet even easier than me. So... Um, it was something that I sit back now and I wish I would have realized like what he did. Cause you know, as a little kid, you always want your dad to be like uh, a fireman or a policeman, <laughs> like something exciting, you know? Um, and he well, would my father works for the employment security commission. So, so there you go. So, but <laughs> what does he do? He I know jobs. That's what he does. That's what he does. And then as I got older and I really realized that he was probably the most brilliant guy in the room and what he did and the know-how he had and what he did in his mind. And so uh, I hate that he didn't get to see me uh, where I mean, he didn't get to see me build my business. My dad's been gone a long time. Uh, but I'm very uh, blessed that my mother will be 92 years old this year, and she lives with me. And, um, and she is very proud of, of everything that's been accomplished. Now, I, there's a tradition here, you know, in politics and also just everywhere that, you know, reporters, we often follow you guys when you go to vote or cast a vote on election day. <laughs> Did you go with your mother? I can't remember. And I, I wasn't with you that day. So, yeah. So I went with my family. I did not. Um, my mother, although she lives with me pretty much full time, she still has a home in Ohio. And so she she actually votes absentee okay. all the time. Uh, there, but no, she, but it was really interesting to take our youngest because he thought it was really cool uh, to go with us and, and actually see us vote. Uh, but he, he's, I think this has been a great experience for him, just getting to see people and hear people and, um, and understand how to deal with people whose opinions may not be of yours and how to do it with respect and kindness and know that everybody has an opinion that should be listened to. Well, I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but I appreciate you coming in and, and giving us so much of yours today. But um, I'm just wondering if you wouldn't mind. Um, I'm trying to pick my my words correctly. There. <laughs> it's been a long day. Um, I guess 
what are your hopes for, for the future for women in South Carolina? I know it's that's kind of a big esoteric question. But, yes. Um, let's take a stab at it. <laughs> what do you <laughs> hope is... for women moving forward in this state since there are still some disparities that, that exist? Well, I hope women realize that they can be whatever they want and to never be afraid. You know, um, dream big. Uh, I did. And, and I had a great professor in college that always said, if you have a dream and you put it out there, right, even when you're not consciously thinking about it in your subconscious, you'll do everything you can to make the right choices to get to where that dream is. So make sure the dream is big enough to get you there. And I just think that there are, we live in a state that has so much opportunity um, you know, before COVID-19 hit, we were in the lowest unemployment of all time. We, um, we have companies from all over the world looking to South Carolina. And they want to make this their home because of so many reasons. But first and foremost, it's opportunity. It's the beauty of our state. It's the people. And it's the, it's the idea that we have the best colleges and technical colleges in the country. And we have so many good people that will help you get to what you want to achieve. Uh, I didn't realize really until I was lieutenant governor how many uh, outlets there are for help, how many outlets there are to, uh, whether it's financial that, you know, helps you get to the education you want or the position you want. But we do. We are a state full of caring people that will help you. And sometimes it's just asking for help. Don't be afraid. Uh, other times it's just knowing where to go and there's, you know, but dream big and know that you can be whatever you want. Right. And I think for women, sometimes there is a struggle of, of seeing that self-worth and that value. You know, there have been so many studies done that show that women just do not go to bat for themselves, whether they're asking for a raise, for example, that's mm-hmm. when that comes to mind. You know, for some reason, women hold back until they can check all the boxes, whereas men may check a few boxes and say, that's, that's good. I'll, I'll go ahead and ask for that raise. <laughs> I have actually heard that where, you know, like in, in a job application, if you have a list of criteria, if women don't fit all of them, they'll say, oh, this isn't, I guess I'm not qualified. Where men, if they check a couple, and I think that's just come from um, kind of just how we've been interacted with over the years and how we're finding our new place. And I don't know, I know a lot of women <laughs> that are really tough. And that can, you know, and that set their mind out and can do whatever they want. And I think those are great role models. And I think the more women we have um, kind of sitting in those high positions, the more women we have at the table all the time, the more, I think, um, encouragement it gives to younger ones or even ones that aren't so young that are looking to reinvent themselves again and now have time. Um, Maybe their kids are out of the house and they want to be something that they, you know, they dreamed of all their lives. It's never too late because there are a lot of amazingly brilliant women that have reinvented themselves two and three times over that are wildly successful. Absolutely. Well, is there anything else that you want women and men out there to know um, as we reflect on this anniversary of the 19th Amendment um, that we just kind of haven't talked about? Or is there something you just want to to throw out there for maybe people to chew on and reflect on as they think about this anniversary? Well, I just want everybody to understand what a privilege it is to vote. And there are some countries that women still do not have the right to vote. 
um, and that we want to make sure that, you know, this is such a struggle, but it wasn't just a struggle here in our country. Because if you, if, you, if you look up women's suffrage, you, a lot, you'll find a lot more on what was happening in Europe, you know, and how that kind of led to here. So to realize that it wasn't just women in this country, it was women all over the world that were fighting for this right, and that we shouldn't take it lightly because there are still women wishing that they had all the rights that we do. Uh, and that's something great to challenge, to make sure uh, that we set a good example uh, and that we, um, we kind of help bring everybody along with us. It's like that old analogy that a high tide will rise all ships. So I want everybody to take seriously voting and knowing what, what a battle it was for so long and really embrace it and get out and vote. Everybody's vote counts. We had an election in Greenville that was won by one vote. So when you hear that, you know, oh, my vote doesn't matter. No, everybody's vote matters. Yes, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Thank you so much for being with us. Well, thank today. you for having me. You know, whether I'm covering a sports story, breaking news story, or just an event that's happening in the community, um, I'm always trying to have my images make people throughout the community feel connected. If you see an image from a breaking news scene of someone going through something that you can't really imagine going through yourself, I hope that people feel empathy when they see that looking at our images. We the Women is a special series of the Post and Courier in celebration of the 100th anniversary of the ratification of the 19th Amendment. To enjoy all 19 interviews, visit postandcourier.com backslash we the women.